in a series today called Godly Vision. Godly Vision. And the goal of our series, uh, and we started it last year. We had to, maybe we're only going to go to maybe part six, and this will be a short series. The goal is for us to see the vision that God has for our life through His eyes. Not through the eyes of media, not through the eyes of your feelings and emotions, not through the eyes of your family and who raised you, but to see the plan that God has for you through His eyes. Um, because when you see it through God's eyes, you realize it's bigger than what you thought. Uh, when you see it through God's eyes, you realize you don't have to be afraid of what the future holds. When you see it through God's eyes, you have more peace in life. And so that's our goal. And every year, Solid Rock does an annual fast. And so today in part four, we're going to talk about fasting. I know that does not sound like the most exciting subject in the world, but it will be. Give me a few minutes. But every year we call all of Solid Rock to fast. Sometimes we do a 30-day fast, sometimes two weeks, sometimes 10 days. I'm calling for a one-week fast. And you can start sometime today or you can start tomorrow, but I'm asking everybody in here to fast for seven days. Jesus says all through Matthew 6, over and over, he says, when you pray and fast. Notice he doesn't say if, he says when. In other words, it should be a normal part of a Christian's life, not just once a year, but all throughout the year, to pray and fast. So interesting, too, he puts prayer and fasting on the same level. And I know that you believe in prayer, but fasting is a very, very powerful thing I'm going to teach you about today. Um, Jesus fasted in the Bible. And I know people say, well, under grace, we don't fast. You know, Jesus is all grace, full of grace. So grace fasted. Um, every person who penned scripture fasted. God is the author of the Bible, but he chose mankind to pen it. And every single writer of the entire Bible prayed and fasted on a regular basis. Abraham Lincoln and most of our presidents prayed and fasted. Abraham Lincoln prayed and fasted all throughout his um, term and even before. In fact, the Emancipation Proclamation, the abolishing of slavery, and the 13th Amendment vote was all based on prayer and fasting. Uh, even the idea of it was based on prayer and fasting. And I believe it came to fruition because of prayer and fasting. Fasting means to withdraw from an unhealthy craving and seek God. It's simply to withdraw from an unhealthy craving. Now listen, how many of y'all have unhealthy cravings in your life? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand for that. You just answer that one in your heart. You just say that. How many of you know somebody that has an unhealthy craving? You can raise your hand for that. Yeah, okay, that's good. Okay, so um, it, it might not be a bad thing. It's not bad to drink sweet tea. It's just not healthy. It's not bad to watch the news. It's just not healthy to stay planted in front of it. It's not bad to be on Facebook. Sometimes it's just unhealthy. It doesn't produce the right things. And so, yes, there are some horrible things you need to stay away from, not just for a week, but more. You know, no sex outside of marriage, no pornography, um, no drugs. You know, maybe whatever God's telling you to fast is between you and God. Don't fast what your spouse fasts. Don't ever condemn the person you're made. Well, I'm fasting uh, meats and sweets and alcohol and Facebook and TV for a week. Okay, well, I'm fasting not cussing you out when you make me mad. That's what I'm going to fast. So don't copy your spouse. You do what God's leading you to do. Um, a more spiritual way to say it is to starve your flesh and feed your spirit. Starve your flesh. God wants to remove things in your life that are unhealthy, but he doesn't just want to remove it. He wants to replace it with something from him. Uh, some of you love to spend money whenever you're depressed. You just have to go to the mall or you get online and buy things. Um, I don't know if that's unhealthy or healthy for you or not, but I know if you're seeking that for joy, it's unhealthy. So God wants to remove that addiction and replace it with his joy. 
Uh, some of you find peace through alcohol or drugs or through staying in front of the news for 12 hours or whatever. God wants to remove that desire, that craving, and replace it with His peace. Uh, the thing about fasting and prayer is it helps us to see God's will and find God's will, and then we pray it into existence. So let me give you an analogy for this before we go into our three points today. Um, if you're a parent, how many of you understand that parents... Uh, for the most part, they know what is best for their kids when their kids are young. Parents, I mean, we're, we're wiser, we're more experienced, we're older, we're more mature. So most of the time, a parent knows what's best for the younger child. Can everybody say amen? Okay, we know when they should go to bed, right? We know when they should stop playing games. We know when they should eat their vegetables. We know when they should change their attitude. We know that, right? Okay, does the child have the same desires for him or herself that the wise, experienced, mature, loving parent has for that child. Do they share the same desires? No. Does the child think, you know what? You are absolutely right. I should not play Call of Duty till 2 a.m. I really believe that you know what's best, and so I'm going to stop. Is that what they say? Does the child say, you know what, I shouldn't eat McDonald's three times a day. Mom, you are so brilliant to put broccoli on my plate, so I'm going to do, I have the same desire. They don't say that, do they? You know what's funny is, children actually believe with everything in them that what they desire or will or want is actually the right thing. They really believe with everything in them there's nothing wrong with three pieces of chocolate cake before bedtime. Right? They don't think there's anything wrong. They think there's nothing wrong with playing video games all night. Nothing wrong with going to bed at, at midnight. They don't think there's anything wrong with that. How much greater would their life be if they simply had the same desires for themselves that the all-loving parent has for them? It would keep them out of trouble. It would make them healthier. They have so much more peace in their life. I mean, they'd stay out of things that would cause them pain. Wouldn't it make their life better? But they don't have those desires until they get older and mature. Okay, it's the same way with us and God. God loves us unconditionally. He's all wise, all powerful. He knows what best. His word is his will. But the truth is a lot of us don't desire for ourselves the same thing that God desires for us. We really believe with everything in us that what we desire for ourselves is actually best. And so we pursue that. Okay, here's what fasting and prayer does. Fasting and prayer will literally change the desires of your heart. If you fast and pray biblically, inside of your heart something will happen and you will, you will actually begin to want the same thing God wants for you. It's an amazing thing that we as Christians should do on a regular basis. Let me give you a scripture before my three points. Remember, Jesus was about to go to the cross in Luke 22, 42. He said this, God, it's my will that this cup be removed. This is what I'm praying. I'm saying, I'm praying, God, remove this cup. I'm about to go through the most horrible, agonizing pain for something I did not do. So if there's another way, if there's any other way, just remove this cup. But here's what he finished and said, but don't do what I want. Don't give me what I want. Don't open the door that I'm asking for. Don't provide this for me. Don't let this happen if it's not your will. Not my will be done. I want what you want for my life. 
That is biblical prayer right there in its best. Okay, so three points for your notes. Ready? We do this every year annually. So number one is this. What am I going to fast? What am I going to put a bunch of, you know, the back of your handout has all kind of options for you. But it's, again, between you and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm going to show you. You'll see if you really want to see that fasting and prayer is a body, soul, and spirit thing. So I put body next to this. What am I going to fast? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Uh, now, listen, this word is buffet, not buffet. Some of y'all got really excited when this slide went up there. I saw fast. You should see how fast I can get through a buffet. No, that's not what it says. It, it means discipline, so I put it in parentheses. It says, I buffet or I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Here's the goal for your life, especially in fasting. Your body should not be in charge of you. You should be in charge of your body. That's what Paul's saying here. Your body should not dictate what you do. A lot of times your body wants to tell somebody off or cuss somebody out or say something you shouldn't say or have the last word. No, 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 no. Your body should not tell you what to do. You should tell your body we're not going to do that. Your body may want that third piece of chocolate cake after you've done had, you know, the caramel cake and then the pecan pie before that. But you got to tell your body, no, your body should not dictate what you do in life. You should dictate to your body. You are going to submit to me. You're going to you're going to listen, do it now. When you tell your body, no, when you tell your body, we're not going to do this. We're not going to look at this anymore. We're not going to sit in front of the TV and watch news all day. We're not going to play on Facebook with your ass. Your body will have a conniption fit. It will scream and yell at you. And your body will say things like this. God wants you to be happy. Don't you know that God loves you no matter what you do? He loves you unconditionally. And that's true. And God does want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy when you obey him even when it hurts. He wants you to be happy even when it doesn't feel good. There's three different types of fast you'll see in the back of your handout. There's the more common food fast, which is all through the Bible. Um, or you can do a mouth fast, which is where you different. One of them is you don't talk about yourself. Uh, for some of y'all, you wouldn't be talking for the whole week. Uh, for There's the, the no profanity fast. That's for the northerners. Um, there are, um, there's different, and uh, then there's the third fast, which is the Nazarite fast, and that's um, where you withdraw from pop culture. And you can choose. You can fast. One thing, too, is totally between you and God. And again, don't fast what your spouse fasts. You fast what God is telling you to fast. The word fast in Hebrew, T-S-O-W-M, literally means this, to keep your mouth shut. Isn't that cool? It literally, it literally translates in Hebrew, keep your mouth shut. Now, how many of you really hope that your spouse fasts this week? That would, I bet your whole household would be so much happier, wouldn't it? Okay, Hebrews 4, 12 to 13 says this, The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing or separating the line between the soul and the spirit. Here's what that means. God's word will help you see the difference between what you crave and what God craves for you. The soul and spirit. If you're ever curious, what should I fast? And, you know, what areas should I try to grow in? And what areas should I ask God to help me change in? If you will just get in the word, you will see there's a huge difference. Just like with the parents and children, there's a big difference between what we desire, our soul, and what God desires us, the spirit of God in our life. It goes on to say, nothing is hidden from God's sight, but all things are open to the eyes of him who must give an account. That word open, remember the Greek, uh, the New Testament's written in Greek. That word open there comes from the Greek word trach, like the tracheotomy or the, the, the windpipe tracheolizio. It's a military term, and it means this, to expose the gullet of a victim for killing. 
You've seen those great Chuck Norris movies because Chuck Norris and Jesus, they're, they're, they're just, they're so great. And so, and so, you know, Chuck Norris will hold the guy's neck back and they take a samurai sword and, you know, kill the guy. Okay, this is the plan that God has for your flesh. He wants to kill everything. And God doesn't want to kill you. He wants to kill what's killing you. Every unhealthy desire, every wrong craving, everything that takes you away from his will for your life and the destiny that he has for you, he wants to expose it and kill it. Cut it right off so it never happens again. Doesn't that sound so exciting? Okay, number two is this. How will I spend time with Jesus? Um, if you fast and you don't replace that with time with Jesus, you're not fasting, you are dieting. And this is not a sermon on dieting, this is a sermon on fasting. This is the soul part. Jesus said in John 15, 5, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. However, apart from me, you can do no thing. There's nothing you can do. It, the, one of the biggest lies that Christians believe and people believe in the world is that there's actually something we can do without God. You are breathing because of him right now. And fasting and prayer will hopefully help you realize you literally cannot do, you can't open your eyes, you can't blink your eyes without God in your life. Um, I want to kind of give you a little analogy, something for you to see about time with Jesus. Um, I want you to kind of think of your life like a balloon, okay? Give me. And I picked orange because it's the best color in the world. And so, um, and there's a, there was a smiley face in there. So your life is like a balloon, okay? And you come to church and we fill you up. I mean, you are filled up with faith and life is good. And you leave church and you're shining bright and you're full of energy and, you know, everything's going to go. But then throughout the week, life happens and you leak. You know, somebody hurts your feelings on Monday You know, I really hope that people don't listen to this by audio. I hope they watch it on video. And so you leak and life happens. And then during the week, you get a speeding ticket or two or three. And then you leak a little bit more. And then your child gets sick. You know, we, we, we had a, our Christmas vacation planned. We would plan it for months. And we were so excited. That's why we weren't here last Sunday. We were supposed to be on vacation, and Asher got sick. We were in and out of the hospital Christmas morning. We're at the emergency room. He's got hives on. We had to cancel our vacation. And, man, did we leak and everything. Just, there was no life. You know, you, especially when they can't figure out what's wrong with your child. I mean, at least tell me what's wrong so we can know what's going to happen. No doctor could figure it out. Emergency room doctor couldn't figure it out. Um, pediatrician, skin doctor, nobody could figure it out. And so we sent prayer requests. We actually, and we, we asked Mona to pray, and Mona said, do communion. So we had communion in our house, and from that day forward, he started getting better. And right now, he's totally 100% healthy. He'll be at the next service. Totally fine. But I leaked. And so what happens is by the end of the week, this is all that is left in our life. But we come back to church on Sunday. We come out of church on Sunday and everything's back to being great again. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's awesome. However, if we would learn how to spend time with Jesus every day, we would not leak because life comes out. But then Jesus fills us back up and someone hurts our feelings, but he teaches us to forgive. And spending time with Jesus keeps us where we're supposed to be. 
Um, every day, which not just Sunday morning, we were designed to spend time with him daily, not weekly, until your football team loses. And then that's what happens to you if you're the Ravens. And so then, and so, and so you, 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 you're, you're out of air. And so you got to learn. And what, however you spend time with Jesus, just like with fasting, don't copy your spouse. I like to have eight translations of the Bible in front of me. You don't have to do that. I have friends who like to go to the gym and they just spend time, they listen to sermons and they, and they or worship music. Or maybe you walk on the beach or maybe you walk your dog and you spend time with Jesus. Or maybe you sit and meditate or, or you sing. Whatever you do, it does not need to look like anybody else. It's your relationship with him. Maybe you like to journal or you like to have a, a, a devotion or a one-year Bible. Whatever you do between you and God. Psalms 23, 1-3 says the Lord my shepherd he leads me to the still waters he refreshes and restores my soul my mind my will and my emotions when is the last time you've been by the still waters i'll tell you let me there's another deceit a lie that christians believe and that is that they can change apart from god if they get enough self-help books if they try really 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 hard no lasting change occurs without god so let me say this if you're not spending time with god there's no change in your life you're the same person year after year after year after year. Listen, some of y'all spend time with people you don't even like. I saw y'all's pictures over the holidays. I saw y'all at that party on Facebook. You were talking to people you could not care two cents about. And yet you listen to them and you talk back and then you left. And I'm sure if that person died today, you won't even know. How much more should we spend time with the creator of the universe who loves us unconditionally? Um, in Genesis chapter 2, God created um, Adam and Eve. He created them for one purpose. Listen, he created them for fellowship, for a family, to spend time with them. God had everything. All the animals were created, the mountains, trees, the strength, the solar system, the moon, the stars. He had angels at his beck and call. He had everything, but he did not have anything in his image to share the world with and to spend time with. And he didn't want robots because robots are forced to do the right thing. He did not want a being who was forced to yes and forced to obey because that means they could not love. The only way love is possible is if you can choose not to. The only way love is possible is if someone has a free will to choose not to love. That way when they choose you, it's real love. So he gave Adam and Eve a free, they were free will moral agents. And man, the greatest thing in the world was when God would call their name and say, Adam, Eve, wake up. And they said, God, what are we going to do today? He said, come on, I'll show you. And they'd hike through the forest and they'd come to this huge cliff with this water pouring down. They'd say, God, what's that? And God would say, Adam, Eve, that's a waterfall. Isn't it amazing? I created this for you. And they'd swim and they'd have fun together. And then the next day, God would call their name, Adam, Eve, wake up. They'd get up. They'd be so excited. What are we going to do today? God said, I'll show you. Come on. And they'd walk through and they'd get to this huge prairie, this huge field. And they'd see these giant herds of gray animals with long noses. And they'd say, God, what is that? And God would say, look, aren't they so weird? Look at their big ears. I created them for you. And they'd probably ride the elephant, elephants and, and play with them and have fun. And then every day, the greatest thing Adam and Eve ever heard was not the roaring of lions or the wind blowing through the trees or the water crashing on the rocks. The greatest sound they heard was the creator of the universe calling their name to meet with them and spend time with them. 
They realized their source for everything was God. Their source for strength wasn't the vegetation. It was the God who created the vegetation. Their source for joy was not the animals. It was the God that created the animals for them. Their source of peace was not the sleep they got at night. It was God. And the Bible says he never slumbers nor sleeps, but he fights our battles for us while we rest in him. The greatest thing ever was spending time with God. Do you know the number one thing God wants you to believe is simply his word? The number one goal he has for your life is to believe his word. In fact, every sermon ever preached by any Bible-based preacher is all but to do one thing, believe what God says. If I preach unforgiveness, the goal isn't for you to forgive people, because that comes and goes. The goal is for you to believe what God says about forgiveness, so you spend your whole life forgiving people. If I preach on finances, the goal isn't for you to tithe and spend wisely and work hard. No, that'll cut your feelings come and go. The goal is for you to believe what God's word says about tithing, working hard, and spending wisely, so you do it for the rest of your life. The only goal God has for you is to believe his word. Every sermon is based on that. And if that's true and it is true, that means the only goal Satan has is for you to disbelieve God's word. Satan's goal isn't for you to sin. We can sin without him. <laughs> we don't need him to sin, believe me. We got friends in Myrtle Beach to help us do that. No, God, Satan's only goal is for you to disbelieve what God says. That's it. Because if you disbelieve what he says, he's got you. He can just stand back in the rest of your life. And so one day, oh, one day in Genesis chapter 3, Satan slithers into the garden. And he goes up to the woman. And he says, did God really say, did God really say that you have his favor? Did God really say he could heal what you've been through? Did God really say he could restore what happened to you? Did God really say that he loves you? Did God really say he wants to use somebody like you to do great things? Did God really say that you're going to touch the lives of thousands? Did God really say that he can heal your child? Did God really say that he can? Did God really say that? And Eve says, well, I think he did. I'm pretty sure. And in verse 4, Satan just came right out and said it. What God said, that's not true. Well, the, the words that came out of God's mouth, that's not true. That's not, that's not what really happened. That's not how it went. And they disbelieved God, believed Satan. And just like God did every day, he called out in verse 9, Adam, Eve. Adam? Eve, where are you? What's going on? I, I, I want to spend time with you today. And the saddest words ever recorded in human history are in verse 10. We heard your voice and we were afraid. So we hid from you. No, 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 no. All I ever wanted was a family. I did all this for you. I did the whole world was yours. You had the perfect life, the perfect marriage, the perfect environment, the perfect father. You had everything. And God knew in that instant that Satan had been there in verse 11. He said, who told you this? Who told you not to believe me? Who told you that my words were not truth? Who told you this? And from that day for the next 4,000 to 5,000 years, sin, because you have to understand, God is perfect. Just by the definition of perfection, imperfection cannot be near him. 
or else he would not be perfect. He can't be around imperfection. I don't care how small or minute it is. He can't be around imperfection. And sin separated us from a perfect God. But through what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago, it became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life, lived the perfect life, died the perfect death. Now you and I can meet with a perfect God anytime, anywhere, no matter what we've done or what we're going through or where we're at. That's good news. Actually, that's the whole God. I literally just preached the whole Bible in the past three minutes. That was the whole Bible right there. Why would we not want to meet with God? He's waiting every single day to spend time with us. Point number three is this. What does God want to do in my life? This is the spirit part. This is the part that only God can do. Because if you think that you can change apart from God or you can make something happen apart from God, it'll never happen. This is the prayer part. Now, listen. I'm not asking you to fast and hope. I'm not asking you to fast and dream. I'm not asking you to fast and wish. I'm not asking you to fast and meditate. I'm asking you to fast and pray. Um, out of the thousands of people in the Bible who prayed, only one prayed in her head. Everyone else prayed out loud. It was an out loud declarative thing. It was thanking God. It was asking God. It was talking to God. What does God want to do in my life? So in John chapter 14 through 16, the gospel of John, you might want to write this down. Chapter 14 through 16 is the last supper meal. So if you ever read in John, you think, you know what? I want to hear what Jesus was really trying to, you know, finally pound into those knuckleheads. He called disciples. I mean, he was really trying to get a point across in John 4. He spent three years with these guys. And finally, it's the last, you know, the last supper. Leonardo da Vinci was there. And he drew a picture of it while they were all sitting just at one side of the table. Really weird, but you know, that's not true. Leonardo Vinci was not there. And that's not how they sat. But anyway, I thought that was hilarious in my mind. That was like the funniest thing I've ever said in my life, in my mind. Uh, so John 4, so this is the last supper. I want you to hear what you think Jesus is trying to get across to these guys. I mean, these are some knuckleheads. They're thick-headed. He's really trying to, he's like, it's like before the appetizer, he says something. Then after the, and then right before the drinks come. And then, you know, after the dessert, he keeps saying something all through these chapters. John 14, 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. John 15, 7, if you abide in me in my words, not yours, my words in you, you can pray for whatever you want and you shall have it. John 15, 16, I chose you to bear much fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23, the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Did you see he's trying to get something across to us? And the filter is Jesus. The filter, well, I want a million dollars. Well, you know what? That might not be in Jesus' name. That might not be what he wants for you. See, the fasting part and the spending time with God part allows your heart to figure out what God's will is for your life. Then your part is to pray his will from heaven to earth. If you want to see prayers answered, and I mean you should, some of y'all, there's so many prayers God has ready to answer, so many answers to prayer God has for you, you really need to keep a notebook. I'm telling you, you'll see it. If, you will if you'll give up something for God, spend time with Jesus, your desire, just like the child we talked about in the beginning, will change, and then you pray it into existence. Yeah, fasting and prayer, it does not cause God to do something he doesn't want to do. It causes God to do what he does want to do, but he needs you to ask for it. 
I need you to ask for it. Um, I want you to imagine that you, you died today and you go to heaven and Jesus has given you the ultimate tour. I mean, you're seeing everything, you know, galaxies and the main city of heaven and, you know, the streets of gold and all this. And you come to this giant, giant, giant warehouse, like a million square foot, uh, you know, build, just huge. And you're just kind of going to walk through to get to the other side. And you're with Jesus, so you're hanging out. And when you go in this warehouse, it's like hundreds and hundreds of floors with thousands of doors and hallways everywhere you look. And as you're going through, there's people's names on the doors. And all of a sudden, as you're walking, you see your name. And you say, oh, Jesus, hold up a minute. My name's on this door. What is this? And Jesus downplays it. He says, oh, no, you don't, you don't want to go in there. Let's keep going. You say, Jesus, it's got my name on the door. I mean, we're in heaven. How bad could it be? I mean, I want to see what's behind the door. Jesus says, I really don't think you should go in there. He said, Jesus, please, come on. I mean, it's heaven. I mean, everything's great up here, right? Jesus, okay, I'll let you in if you want to get in. So he unlocks the door and you walk in and you see shelf after shelf after shelf with boxes on every shelf. You think that's awkward, so you run over to the first box and you open it up, and inside of the box is a miracle. You think, huh, and then you go to the next box, and it's a box of God's favor. You go to the next box, and it's three friends who you never met. And you go to the next box, and there's money in it. And you go to the next box, and there's healing. And you go to the next box, there's emotional restoration from a heartbreak. And you go to the next box, and it's a talent and a gift you never had. And you go to the next box, and it's some way that you can influence thousands of people for the kingdom of God. And you go to the next box, and, the ne and you realize this room is filled with blessings that are for you with your name on it. But you never experienced a single one of them on earth. Because you never asked. It was God's will, row after row after row, for you to have these things on planet Earth. But you never went to him in prayer and asked for it. If you study the Bible, Isaac asked for a wife and God gave him one. Moses asked to make butter, bitter water sweet and God did it. Elisha asked God to open up his servant's eyes and the servant saw angels. Hezekiah asked for more time. God gave him 15 years. Daniel asked God to help him with an enemy and God turned the enemy into an animal. Solomon asked God for wisdom and God gave him wisdom plus billions of dollars. Samuel asked God where somebody was hiding and God said he's behind the supplies. Simeon asked God if he could see Jesus before he died and he got to hold baby Jesus in a church. Hannah asked God for a baby. God gave her one. Joshua asked God to stop the sun and he did it. I asked God to help me learn how to play the piano at 11 years old and he did it overnight. The common denominator is that every one of these people asked God to do what God wanted to do. They literally prayed it into existence. Listen, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be prideful. I don't want to be arrogant. I want everything that God has. When I get to heaven, I want my storehouse to be completely empty. I want to walk in that room and there be nothing but a gold floor. That's it. I want everything on earth I'm supposed to have. Everything. Um, I want to close with this story and then I'll let you go. Uh, true story. There was a man in the 1800s named George Mueller. And George Mueller is probably the most written about um, missionary in all of the 1800s. I mean, just hundreds of different writings on him. And you'll see why in a second. And, and, and just an amazing life. Most of his life is um, written about prayers that he prayed and answers that he received. Miracles that happened. George Mueller started off as a very immoral person. 
very, very immoral, and he was an alcoholic as well. But in his area, in his country, um, ministers were employed by the government. It was a steady job. So even though he didn't believe in God, he went to seminary to become a minister. Um, it was a steady job for him. He made good money. But at 30 years old, while he was leading a Bible study, he ended up getting saved and giving his life to Jesus Christ. The first thing he did was learn how to pray and fast. That was the next 60 years of his life, which is prayer and fasting and prayer and fasting. Uh, he prayed and fasted after he got saved on God. What do you want me to do? And God said, I want you to be a missionary and go to missionary school. So he went to his incredibly wealthy father and said, I need money to go to missionary school. His dad said, are you kidding me? Missionaries don't make any money. Just keep the job you have. So George prayed and fasted. Two weeks later, God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to missionary school anyway. George said, I don't have any money. God said, go. So he's in the line for the registrars to, to start this next semester. He has no money. They're about to call his name, and somebody walks up to him that he doesn't know, hands him a wad of cash, down to the very last dollar bill was the exact amount he needed for missionary school. So he goes to school, and he graduates, and he prays and fasts and asks God where to go, and God wasn't speaking to him, so he went to the board and said, I want you all to send me to China or, or India or somewhere. And they said, George, we should have told you before you started school here, due to your immoral past, we don't want you to be a missionary for us. So George continued to pray and fast, and then God spoke and said, go to this specific country and this specific city. So he took all the money he had, traveled to that city. He went to the local church, the only church in the area, and he asked to speak to the pastor. They said, the pastor just resigned. He said, well, I just graduated missionary school. They said, you're hired. So he started pastoring. A few months later, he started praying and fasting again, and God said, I want you to start an orphanage. He said, God, I don't have any money. The next week, somebody came to church and said, I want to finance whatever it is God's telling you to do with your ministry. They paid for the first orphanage filled with kids. I mean, this was his life over and over. In the 1800s, in the 1800s, George Mueller had in the missionary account, not the general, in the missionary, he brought in over seven and a half million dollars. And he never once asked for money. All, in fact, he had, in fact, his life shows in every church he pastored and everywhere, he had boxes. They never passed an offering plate. He never asked for money. He simply told the people the vision, and he prayed, and he fasted. In fact, in his 60 years of missionary work, George Mueller started more orphanages than any other person or organization that has ever existed in all of time up until even this day. There's hundreds of accounts of his, his prayers and his prayers. In fact, one I'll tell you real quick. I mean, you can read just hundreds of the orphans would write stories about him everywhere. One day he's visiting one of his orphanages and there's no food. The kids have no food. There's no money in, in that area, whatever. They didn't know what to do. So George had all the kids get around the dining room table and they all held hands and prayed. When they said amen, nothing happened. So George thought, okay. He said, well, let's all say something we're thankful for. Now listen, these are orphans without food, and every one of them found a reason to thank God out loud, which is also part of prayer. And as a side note, remember when Jesus fed the thousands, the multitude? The Bible says he prayed and he thanked God for the food, and then it multiplied. So anyway, that should be part of your prayer life. So they all thanked God. When they got done with the last child thanking God for something, there was a knock on the door, and the local baker brought every single piece of food he had in his whole bakery and said, I just felt like I should bless y'all tonight. So they had a table filled with food, but they had nothing to drink. 
So when they got done eating, they all prayed. There was a knock on the door and the milkman's cart broke down outside the orphanage. He came to the door and said, if this milk doesn't get drunk tonight, then it's going to go bad. I need y'all to... So they all had milk to drink. This didn't happen dozens of times. It happened hundreds of times in his life, all through prayer and fasting. When George was 93 years old and eight months, 93 and eight months, there's a young man that was being paid to take care of him in his old age. And this young man kept hearing George pray every day out loud. This guy would just pray and pray and pray. And the young man couldn't really hear from where he was at exactly what George was praying. But he kept hearing someone's name always being brought up in prayer. So when George was on his deathbed, the young man asked him, he said, do you mind if I just ask you, who is this guy that I hear you keep praying for over and over and over again? George said, 63 years and eight months ago, when I was 30 years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. The first person I told about that was my best friend in the whole world. When I told him I got saved and that he needed to get saved too, he stopped talking to me. He told me he wasn't going to believe in any of that garbage. He didn't need God in his life. And George said, every day for 63 years and eight months, I've prayed for my best friend. A few days later, George died. At the funeral, thousands of people from all over the world came to celebrate his life. At the conclusion of the service, the minister gave a call to salvation. Everyone saw this 90-something-year-old man with a cane very slowly walk to the front of the service. He kneeled down beside the casket, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that was George's best friend from 63 years and eight months before. Listen, some things in your life will never happen without prayer and fasting. There are so many things that God has for you, and I want us to experience every single bit of our walk with God on planet Earth. Isaiah 58, 6-8 says, When you've humbled yourselves and fasted, then your healing will quickly come. Righteousness will go before you. You will call, and watch this, the Lord will answer. If this doesn't happen for you, then let me know and I'll stop preaching because my whole life, everything I, is based on the Word of God. This promises us right there that when you call, the Lord will answer. I'll just leave you with this point here. God will only be involved in as much of our life as we invite Him to. He's only going to be involved in as much of your life and he wants to be involved when, you, when you're raising your kids. He wants to be involved when you're at work. He wants to be involved when you're just sitting at home. He wants to be involved in every day of your life, every area of your life. Don't deny him this. It's for your good. I promise you, it'll change everything. Amen.